0: Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, editor-at-large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Before a book becomes a book, Before it becomes something that you can pick up in a bookstore or a library, before you can dog ear the pages or underline your favorite passages, before you can recommend it to your friends or read it aloud to your children, before all of that, it starts as a manuscript that finds its way into an editor's hands. What happens from there is nothing short of magic. This is the third and final episode of our special Harry Potter series, celebrating the 20th anniversary of the book's publication in the US. This week, we'll hear from members of the dedicated team at Scholastic that helped bring to life one of the most popular book series in history. We'll introduce you to the publicist who planned J.K. Rowling's first US tour, the marketer behind the midnight release parties, and a salesperson who told American booksellers that something special was about to happen. But first, the manuscript and the editor who fell in love with the boy who lived. Here's Arthur A. Levine.
1: Hello, I'm Arthur A. Levine. I am the publisher of Arthur A. Levine Books, Which is a small imprint of Scholastic, which is dedicated, among other things, to bringing the best of the world's literature to American young readers. And it was in that context, 20 years ago, that I was at the Bologna Book Fair, which is a place where publishers come once a year to meet and tell each other about exciting new projects and they kind of exchange suggestions for what each other might publish. So that year I went around saying, "Okay, what I'm looking for is the kind of book that will be a child's favorite book of their whole childhood. I want a book that kids will really love, that they'll read and reread and they'll keep that that tattered copy" on their shelf through college into their adulthood, and there will always have pride of place. Now, if you can imagine somebody saying this in booth after booth at a book fair, you would probably roll your eyes. And I'm sure I got a lot of eye rolling, but from one publisher, Bloomsbury, she said, well, we have something, it's not published yet, But we're really excited. This is an an author we think is very special. And I think it sounds like what you're talking about. We don't actually even control the rights, but I happen to have a set of galleys. And so she gave me this set of galleys. And it was the one set of galleys that I accepted. I don't take a lot home. And I read it on the plane, and that was Harry Potter. I knew immediately that it was a special book. That's all that an editor can know is how the book affects them as a reader. That's always my focus. And it affected me in a special way. Did I know that it was going to become a phenomenon that we would be celebrating 20 years later? No, I couldn't be more delighted that the whole world really discovered JK Rowling and her writing that that's every editor's dream. As the series went from wonderful, quirky British book, as time went on, it became, as, as we all are saying, a phenomenon. Now, when something becomes a phenomenon, suddenly many, many, many other people become involved. I mean, it's never just the editor and publisher. It's always a team that makes any book. It's always the marketing department and the production and the manufacturing department and the art department. And that was true the whole way through. My focus as the sales went into the you know, millions, my focus was to remain conscious of the fact that Joe Rowling is a person and she's a writer, and the books are her writing. And so I focused more and more intensely as the series wore on in just being the person who said during the process of writing, during the process of editing, do not think of anything else. You know, we're going to put on blinders, and we're just going to talk about the story as a story and the characters as characters, and edit in, in the same way that we would, even if we thought no one was going to read it. Given all that's happened, people think, oh, you thought it was going to be a, a big hit. You identified some aspect of it that would be very cool for the market. No, I didn't do that. I was reading as a reader, and I was thinking, wow, this is really making me love this book. I want to publish books I love, that people will love. Because when Harry Potter came out, children's fiction, hardcover fiction, was not a hot trend. That was something that was actually quite difficult to sell in bookstores. And fantasy was not a particularly vibrant genre for children at that time. So none of that actually spelled giant world-changing phenomenon. And boy, Harry Potter changed that a lot. In the early days, it was the number one, number two, and number three book on the bestseller list, which was not a children's bestseller list. It was just a bestseller list. And this was a huge change because we were proving that a children's book could sell as many copies as an adult book. That in turn, drew a lot of wonderful new talent into the industry, and also convinced publishers to be more bullish about their programs, and invest more effort in, into selling and marketing and trumpeting the success of, of great new people. So, I think it opened a lot of doors and raised the, the level of expectations beyond what they ever had been before. The idea that a book that I have helped bring into existence has touched somebody personally is exactly the entire motivation for why I do this in the first place. What Harry Potter has shown me is how widespread that really is, that more and more people actually do come up to me and say, this book made my child into a reader. I want you to know how important that was, or this book was the book that got me through high school, because I felt like nobody, nobody appreciated me, and I was the person hiding in the cupboard under the stairs. I mean, I, that's all that a, an editor or a publisher could ask for, and I've felt blessed to hear it so often from people. And I would like to imagine that there is millions of kids who haven't even said anything, but who just read it and loved it and are keeping that book on their shelf, as I hoped.
2: Hi, I'm David Saylor, and I'm the creative director in the Scholastic Book Group and also the publisher of the Graphics Imprint at the time when I helped Harry Potter sort of bring it into the world with the editor, Arthur A. Levine, I was the creative director, art director for the books. And so my job working on the books was to help find an artist to illustrate the cover and to do the interior spot illustrations for the books, and also to be responsible for the complete package of how the book would actually look. So it's picking the typefaces, working with the design, choosing the materials that the book would print on, picking the patterns that were going to be stamped onto the sides of the case, picking the foil color, all of the aesthetic decisions that went into uh, having Harry Potter look the way it does is something that I was very much involved with from the very beginning. I felt a little daunted when I read the book for the first time I had been given a galley copy of Harry Potter that had been produced by Bloomsbury, the British publisher. And so it was a very plain looking bound galley that publishers often make to promote their books. And so there was no look for the books at all, really. It was just a very, very simple, basically typeset sort of book. And I know that there had been a lot of excitement. Arthur had brought this book back from Bologna. Everyone at work was talking about it, and it was we knew that there was something special about it. And so, I read it, and I just loved it immediately. It's one of those books that I responded to from the first sentence. And I just remembered, like, not really being able to put it down. (laughs) And then thinking, oh, my gosh, I love this book so much. How am I going to design a package or create a book at the end of the day that's going to do this work justice? Because I loved it so much, and I wanted to make sure that – the book itself, when it came out and when it was published, looked special, felt special, and would attract attention so that people would look at it and say, oh, I really want to own this book and I love it. Choosing the artwork, the artist, was really interesting and um, it definitely was a little daunting because Arthur and I both loved the book so much and we wanted to do the book justice. And I remember we were looking in my office. At that time, I had sort of an alphabetical uh, art file that went from A to Z. And it was uh, samples of artists that I loved and that I wanted to work with over the years. And um, we got to G. <laughs> and uh, I found Mary Granpre, who was someone who I really had wanted to work with for a long time. I'd seen some of her picture books and some of her editorial work. And I thought, oh, you know, there's a there's something about her work that feels like this could be perfect for Harry Potter. And it was sort of like this aha moment when Arthur and I looked at her work and thought, oh, she could be so good. And it, in particular, there was a sample I remember, which was of a boy wearing sort of a white and red striped shirt. So, he was a contemporary kid, but he was walking through this fantastical environment with lots of interesting topiary plants and things like that. And so, I thought – What Mary could do so wonderfully was to create this rich, magical world, but have it be centered on sort of an ordinary kid like Harry Potter. But she could bring the magic and something special to the artwork. So, she responded really well to the manuscript, and here we are. She created those beautiful, beautiful paintings for the covers, and all the amazing chapter-opening artwork for the books she was thinking about doing the logo because we were talking about what kind of typeface we would use for the cover and We really wanted something that felt interesting, and and it wasn't just sort of a typeface. And I knew that Mary had studied typography and graphic design when she went to art school, so I knew that she had done that before, and she had showed me some of her work, and I'd seen it, and I thought, you know, if, if Mary were to hand letter it, it would somehow feel more of a piece of the cover, it would feel more organic in some way. So she sketched it out, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is, like, so good. I mean, it was her idea to put the lightning bolt into the P of Potter and to create that sort of angular, the angular logo that she came up with. And so she showed us a sketch, and then she inked it, and that logo is now one of the most famous logos, I think, in the world at this point. I have so many favorite memories (laughs) from working on the series. A few of the good moments had to do with the secrecy that were involved with publishing Harry Potter, because after book three, we were publishing them in sync with the British publishers. And so we would get the manuscripts ahead of time, and we would have to read them in secret because everyone wanted to know what happened next. And of course, we couldn't let anything out. There was no, no hint of what the plot was to come could be let out. So everything was done under tremendous secrecy, literally under lock and key. The manuscript that I would get would have to be kept in a locked drawer in my office. And so, that was always very exciting when those manuscripts arrived. And so, one of my favorite moments was when, of course, when Book 7 came out. And the manuscript arrived, and I was waiting. I had gotten a text message from Arthur Levine's assistant at the time, Rachel Griffiths. And I went downstairs, I was waiting in front of my apartment building, and Rachel came out of a black limousine and handed me this manila envelope folder with book seven in it, and it was like being sort of past some secret espionage... <laughs> sort of package, which was incredible and I was I kept on thinking if anyone on the street walking by knew that I was holding book seven of Harry Potter, I would I would get beaten up and the manuscript would be whisked off. The intrigue involved <laughs> with that <laughs> was very exciting, and so when I received a manuscript for Book Seven to read it and to talk with Mary about what the artwork would be, that was probably one of my most cherished memories. And there's there's some other ones too. There's signatures in the book for some of the characters, and me, for example, I signed Sirius Black's name in the manuscript, so that's actually my handwriting. And uh, Arthur has handwriting for uh, Ron Weasley. Barry Cunningham did Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling, I think, did Mafalda Hopkirk. Brenda Bowen, who was working here at the time, did uh, McGonagall. So it's interesting. Oh, and and um, Rosie O'Donnell signed Mrs. Weasley because she was such a huge, huge fan, and she was begging to have something to do with the, with the books. And so we let her sign for Mrs. Weasley. So that's that's a fun little backstory that a lot of people I don't think know about. Harry Potter means to me that you know that it's an incredible book that I was able to work on that's brought so much pleasure and joy to kids all over the world and to adults all over the world and so, for me, it's sort of like a bit of legacy. You know, I feel like I've worked on a classic book. And how often does someone in publishing get to work on a book that has affected so many people in so many lives? And so the thought, you know, it's very gratifying for me to just think that I had some small part in helping to make this book and to help create memories for so many kids who grew up reading those Mary Grandpre books. And that's going to be their vision of Harry Potter for life. So being part of something that's affected so many people and created such a love of reading worldwide has been it's a very beautiful and moving experience.
3: I'm Rachel Kuhn, Vice President of Marketing and Brand Management. Starting with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, I have created the marketing campaigns to bring new readers of all ages to the series and engage all those existing fans on a year-long basis. I must admit, my favorite promotional item was the first lightning bolt tattoo, which became an iconic symbol for the entire franchise. The best part of my job is working with the super dedicated, fantastic Harry Potter team across departments, including editorial, publicity, legal, sales, creative services, and I have to say, the unstoppable operations team. Together, we make sure all the retailers and librarians have what they need to launch a new book and make sure to create massive awareness to drive people to the stores and libraries. And I have to say the biggest challenge for me over the years leading the marketing for Harry Potter was that we didn't always have a book work with. As many of you know, once it came to Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, it was J.K. Rowling's wish that she wanted people all over the world to have the opportunity to discover her story at the same time. So to that point, that is when there were no more advanced manuscripts, there were no more advanced reading copies, and nobody was able to read the book until the stroke of midnight on that on-sale date. The moment of not being able to read the book until midnight, that became the marketing campaign. And that is where the midnight parties derive, not just for the book industries, but also for the film industry. When you're marketing, it's really your job to make sure that the retailers and librarians have what they need to both launch a book and to drive the traffic of consumers to that store and to those libraries. So this entails the advertising. Where are you gonna advertise? I have to say with Harry Potter, that's been a gift for me, because I, it was for the first time, we were advertising books in, in, in venues that weren't just children's venues. Rolling Stone Magazine, Us Weekly, Entertainment Weekly, we did highway billboards, we had airplane poles over beaches. When Goblet of Fire came out, I thought, let's make this a great New Year's Eve moment. So Times Square, at midnight, you saw the book jacket of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire appear exactly at midnight. And just this month, we showcased our sizzle reel for the 20th anniversary also in Times Square. So really to create like a party moment around it. The key to introducing a new book is the book itself. That is the number one best marketing material you're ever going to have is going to be the book itself, especially one that you believe in and that you know people are gonna wanna grab for. The other part of course is the author and I have to say that's what we did when it came to Harry Potter. We created advanced reading copies we made sure that key people in the industry had them so they could read it early on to create this industry buzz. Because I think, as we all know, it doesn't matter how much a publisher is going to say this book is great. You want to hear from your peers. When your friends are telling you a book is great, when you hear a reviewer saying a book is great, that's going to make you want to pick it up. The other important thing was J.K. Rowling was not known here in the United States. So we had to bring her here to introduce her to key booksellers and librarians even before the book came out. I work with an incredible team of people here at Scholastic. You know, a lot of people will use the term, it takes a village. But I I would say with Harry Potter, it takes a city. And really, what it takes is people who are so dedicated and so passionate. And there's a team of people here at Scholastic across all departments where it's been an unbelievable ride. It's like to see the growth of Harry Potter, it's almost hard to explain. You know, we first started working on the book. There was a 50,000 print run. And then it, it, within a year and a half, we have Prisoner of Azkaban come up, and that jumps, you know, to such levels. And then we're going to the millions of copies, and we're finding out from friends or begging me in the industry, other publishers, how can I get this galley? How can I get this book? And it was just pretty amazing just to watch the rise of a book that was first written for kids, be so embraced by adults. And not of, of just one segmentation of the country or one demographic. It was just affecting everybody. And just to watch that, to this day where I still tear up, and the most gratifying to me is to see the effect of Harry Potter you know, on a child, and I'm a fan, and you know, I have to recall going back to the first midnight party that I ever attended. um, This was for Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. It was at the Border Store, which was an incredible store on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. We were there because the ALA convention happened to take place there, so that was the store I went to. (laughs) Um, There was a huge line of kids with their parents just around the block waiting to get into this store, waiting to get a book it felt like it was a rock concert. It was like all of these kids were up late at night. We're talking 10 o'clock at night and you're seeing like seven year olds and eight year olds with their parents. And then you're seeing 20 year olds and 30 year olds waiting online to get a copy of this book. So I kind of walked up and down the aisles with my lightning bolt tattoos, (laughs) which really we've created for every book because it has become of course, a symbol of Harry Potter, just passing them around. And then it strikes midnight. All of a sudden, it's like New Year's Eve, booksellers are quickly opening up boxes of Harry Potter and they're passing them out to the kids and the adults. And then it starts to get more quiet and more quiet. And you notice that kids are sitting on the floor reading a book at midnight. And it's, the chatter stops, adults join them. And I remember just standing back thinking, oh my God, This is a book. This has completely changed the world.
4: My name is Chris Moran. I was the director of publicity at Scholastic in uh, 1998 when the first Harry Potter book was launched. I was in charge of, at the time, introducing the author to booksellers and to media and we set up a few select signings at the time and just trying to launch this new author and this amazing book that all of Scholastic was totally behind and in love with. A publicist in in publishing is responsible for booking any author appearances and accompanying the author on any appearances and tours securing media for the book and author, interviews for the author, distributing review copies to trade journals like Publishers Weekly and School Library Journal. But then also, depending on the book, you know, having other media targets for Harry Potter, it became everything. And and usually a publicist is calling and calling and calling press to try to get coverage on a book. And Often getting no response or often getting a no. And with Harry Potter, it very quickly turned into a completely different job where I was, I could call the shots and I could say, yes, we'd love this Newsweek cover that you're proposing, but, you know, I've got this 60 Minutes <laughs> exclusive over here. So can that go a week later? And it happened. So <laughs> it was a very interesting shift. And I imagine when you're working with a celebrity, that's how it works. You call the shots. But in children's book publishing, you usually don't. I read an advanced reader's copy back in the day when we had advanced reader's copies. And I was reading it on a plane on a trip to Chicago where we were doing a big R.L. Stein event. And I got there and could not put it down, went right to my hotel room and stayed in the hotel room the entire afternoon. We didn't have anything to do until the next day. And finished the book, and just thought, uh, "Wow, <laughs> this is an amazing story. I'm so excited that I get to work on it, and thrilled to meet the author who i I could tell was brilliant just from reading the book, and was ready to just do whatever I could to bring it to new readers. I have very distinct memories of publishing these books and and bringing J K. Rowling to fans. One was during a tour for Chamber of Secrets, the second book, where we arrived at a store in Boston, and there was an incredible line around the block. And as we were pulling in, J.K. Rowling turned to me in the car and said, what's going on? Is there a sale or something? And she was completely honest and completely, you know, oblivious to the fact that it was for her. And I said, no, this is for you. And she looked at me kind of a little terrified. And we pulled in and looked at each other and got out of the car. And as we walked in, there was a group of people chanting, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. And it was literally like I was walking in with the Beatles. And she just walked in through this very narrow aisle, because the store was very small, it was an independent bookstore and filled with people sat down, looked up at me, I handed her a pen, and she started signing away. Traveling with J.K. Rowling is incredibly inspiring because she will have crowds of hundreds, thousands of people, yet she will look at every person, comment to every person that goes by when she signs their book, and I think everybody leaves there really feeling like they got a moment with her, even as fast as it is, and even as that, you know, we as the publicity team are, are shoving books in front of her and, and moving people along. I think people really felt like they got a moment with her because she makes eye contact and she smiles and she looks at everybody. Um, and they really feel like they got that personal interaction. What does Harry Potter mean to me? It means, without a doubt, the highlight of my career. It means working with an incredible team at Scholastic. I think we were a very small team and a very close team that worked on the books. It made people read. It made children read. And it brought a, I think at the time, you know, it changed the publishing industry. So I learned so much. It inspired children who hadn't read before. Adults were reading the books. It was, you know, I will tell my grandchildren about publishing the Harry Potter books.
5: i'm mark seidenfeld i am vice president and deputy general counsel at scholastic my role in connection with this series and in trying to wow help bring it to life is uh makes it sound so big and important and it was just an incredible team to be a part of um i i I really was the lawyer involved with this throughout which was really you know starting out had no idea what we were all becoming a part of And it was everything from dealing with the contracts, which is understandable, and negotiations. But as this series progressed and exploded into the phenomenon that it became, there were issues that came up and things that I was dealing with that not in a million years sitting in law school or when I started practicing that I ever imagined I was going to have to deal with. I was... Responsible for security surrounding the book, which entailed going out to printing plants and doing audits of printing plants to see how they handle materials throughout the process. Um, it involved doing things and being involved with how we set things up around the office and how we were managing um, things. It was, you know, the exciting moments that I had where we were worried about security surrounding delivery of the manuscript itself. And don't forget, this series is. 20 years old, so we're going back a ways when sort of digital transfer of files and secure files wasn't what it is today. So I was literally going over to the UK to pick up manuscripts and bring them back. So it was really involved in so many different aspects of the book that it was really, really exciting. My favorite memories of working on the series, it's kind of tough to narrow them down. Um, There were some incredible moments of, you know, dire craziness in those few days leading up, particularly those few days leading up to the actual release where we were scrambling around based on finding things online that shouldn't have been online, whether they were real or not, um, you know, dispelling rumors about things. And I just remember... In the midst of all that, just always sitting. And this was not a single moment, but this was a common moment around all the releases and sitting with folks here and just looking at each other and going, this is all about a book. This is unbelievable that this is all about a book. For the last book, when we brought it over, I had to keep it with me. I mean, this was like the craziest of the crazy ones, right? We had fallen into this pattern where I would go and pick up the manuscript and bring it back um, to to the US and it was obviously a secretive process. Nobody could know. Um, that's all we needed for somebody on a plane or at an airport to know that I had the book on me. For the seventh book, carrying that manuscript around, I did not want to let it out of my sight and literally didn't even want to put it in an overhang, didn't want to go to the bathroom without it. I didn't want to go anywhere without it. And I was like, all right, well, the only place where I know it's going to be where nobody else is going to get to it or see it is under my tuchus, as they say. So I sat on it for the entire flight, took it with me to the bathroom, the whole nine yards. Another moment that I remember particularly was the last book release, number seven. And uh, we sort of were going around town to check out the different um, release parties and events that were going on. And I remember ending the night um, at the Borders store that had been at the Time Warner Center, which is kind of a sad memory in and of itself since Borders is no longer. Um, but I remember being there at midnight and seeing people at midnight just, you know, jumping out of their skin to actually finally get that last book. And I remember seeing a parent and child at the cash register. And while the parent is still paying for the book, the child has dropped to the floor at their mother's feet beneath the cash register and just cracked the book open and started reading. And to me, that's what it was all about, that we could get kids that excited about a book. Not a video game, not a TV show, not the latest movie, but it was a book and they just couldn't wait to return to those characters, to return to that world that Joe Roland created and they loved.
6: My name is Lisette Serrano. I am the Executive Director of Educational Marketing uh, and Event Strategy, which means that I get to go to a lot of conferences um, around the United States. And we really help support school and librarians and teachers find books, access to books, Scholastic books. My role at Scholastic, bringing Harry Potter books to life is many. I've been at Scholastic for over 20 years. So I have so many stored memories the very first is when I first started Scholastic as a wee little assistant. Um, I think they called me like one of the beta readers and our current um, senior VP of marketing gave me uh, a copy, a manuscript by Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone and said, read this book, didn't give me any context and just said, read this book and tell me what you think. <sighs> I started reading at my desk because I think it was like my first month and I just couldn't stop reading. And I went back to him the next day and I was like Oliver Twist and said, more please, like we need more, I need more. Like it was the most amazing story I've ever read. It just, it changed my life. It, you know, I was always, I've, I've always been a good reader. I've always loved book. It's always been my safe haven. So when I read Harry Potter um, and the Sorcerer's Stone for the first time, it was like going home. It was just like incredible. It was really mainly about family and belonging, and feeling alone, and finding a place in a big, vast world, and finding people who believe in you. And it was really about friendship and belonging for me. One of my favorite memories getting the book directly into the hands and to librarians, um, for book five, we do this amazing midnight party at the American Library Association in Toronto. and it was like a carnival setting. We had um, we had a Ferris wheel. We had jugglers. We had karaoke. It was a celebration, and it was also our way of thanking librarians for you know bringing those books into hands in their communities. And you know they are the wizards. They are the helpers who who really bring books to children. So we wanted to give them our thanks for that. And um, it was an amazing event. And right close to midnight, giving them that book, it was like they clutched their chest. We saw people, some librarians, reading it on their way. You know, way back to the hotel it was just a, a magical evening it's just like this book has touched so many lives and to see how people respond to it like it's like this token of you know warmth and affection and it was it, it was it was incredible and to be a part of that they bring that event together and to see the effect it has on so many librarians around the world
7: is priceless it's priceless mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Roz Hilden, and I'm the sales rep for Scholastic, located in Northern California. I fell in love with Harry Potter from book one, and I knew after completing reading book one that this was going to be a bestseller. I stayed up to 2 a.m. in the morning to finish reading the manuscript, and I couldn't fall asleep after I finished. I obsessed about the characters, particularly Harry, fell in love with Harry. And uh, I get emotional sometimes when I talk about it because um, this book was really special to me in a lot of ways. Um, I missed him when I got to the end. I felt so sad when the book came to the end and I kept obsessing for weeks after reading it because, you know, you read these things well in advance. And then I remembered one line And I was out working in my yard. I put everything down. I walked back into the house. I picked up the last couple of pages and read that he could hardly wait to second term. And at that point, I knew there was going to be another book and he would be back. My job is a sales rep for Scholastic. And I've been with Scholastic for over 25 years now. And I call on directly with retail booksellers, not chains but uh independent booksellers in six western states and when i go in and present books i always um key in on the books that i want my buyers to really buy up and i remember very clearly because we created a special display for book one for harry potter and we didn't have computers to do ordering. Everything was still done the old-fashioned way back in those days, where we had NCR order forms, and I would my pen would hover o- over the order form when they would when they'd give me a number, and I wouldn't write it down until they gave me the number I wanted, and I would even sell them. I said, "No, not enough. You need you need this many copies to start with this book." I remember one meeting that i had with copperfield's books i think it was on book 3 where it wasn't just a solo meeting with the buyer it was a meeting with the all the buying team because when you have some stores where they have multiple locations they have a team of people who do buying so it's the frontless buyer the backless buyer the events coordinator In this case it was also the general manager And the children's buyer all sitting together in one very small office and deciding what the number is going to be. That's what I saw that was really, really different. I also, I, should I tell you this story? I also had a, I had a friend who worked for Random House back in the day and they were publishing the Bill Clinton book and she was obsessing about it. And I said, how many are printing? She said, 2 million. I said, listen, honey. When you print 12 million, call me back, okay? Then you can be obsessing about something. The role I played initially was hosting a pre-pub dinner in San Francisco. Uh, I hosted a dinner that had 40 people. I told everyone, hey, you better be on time (laughs) and you better be prepared for this evening. The, The evening was magical. When Joe Rowling entered the room, It was as if a spell had been cast over that whole room. And I remember that that evening like it was yesterday. So that was my first impression and my first big step. Because if you don't have the booksellers putting the books in other people's hands, then the book just sits on the shelf. But the second part was when I worked on the tour and I saw kids not only of all ages, but of all groups. You know, you have the nerds, you have the popular kids, you have the kids who are, who are kind of like the outcasts, who all came together. They were all part of this experience. They all, they came dressed in costume, which I thought was, wow, this is really amazing. I've never seen a love for a book or a series in my entire career. I was really sad when book seven was the last, you know, I really was. I felt, you know, it's like you have a really great friend and they've gone away. So I was equally delighted when Cursed Child came along because then I thought, oh, my God, there's something new she's doing. You know, readers young and old cannot get enough. And I, I'm glad she's still creating and, and adding more to this magical world because it's really needed. We need, we need a little magic in our lives.
0: Thanks so much to all of my scholastic colleagues for sharing their wonderful stories today. And thank you for listening To learn more about the past 20 years of Harry Potter magic, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Don't miss an episode of Scholastic Reads. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and each episode will automatically be delivered to your phone. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer, Lucas Elliott Eberl. I am Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.